teaching is a, is a great way to not only have a venue for my own work and show students that yes, you can make money at this, you can create and provide a direct path and correlation for their work, but it is also, how can I put this? On my worst day, I have provided students an opportunity to grow. The voice you just heard belongs to artist and educator Jordan C. Brunn. Hey, my name is Jordan C. Brunn. Uh, I make the distinction of the C because my uh, father, Jordan Victor Brunn, is a photographer. So a lot of the stuff that I have done, I try to keep separate from his body of work to establish that. Join him. Besides working as an artist and educator, uh, I also have done film and theater for quite some time, but most of my focus now, as pretentious as it sounds, I'm focusing on my art. Along with Mandy Harris. I'm Mandy Wood Harris, and currently I teach theater and English at Snowcrest Junior High, which is a school in Ogden Valley. And Wendy Oltmans. I'm Wendy Oltmans, and I work at Viewmont High School as the theater teacher, and I am a performer in the community. In today's discussion of art and storytelling in education, I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to episode four, the A in STEAM, Arts and Education. This episode of In the Telling is sponsored by Next Stage Productions, with a new accessible adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, prepared for Shakespeare lovers and novices alike. Performances May 9th through the 18th at On Pitch Performing Arts in Layton. Enjoy the comedy, romance, and drama of one of Shakespeare's most popular plays. The teaching profession attracts a certain type of person, and in a lot of ways, this person has always and already been a teacher. How long have you been teaching? This is my second year of official getting paid working for a school district teaching. But as far as how long I feel like I've been teaching, I feel like I've always been teaching. But this is my second year of official, I'm a teacher, I have an ID badge, teacherdom. <laughs> you're, you're not student teaching, you're not interning slave labor, you're not... It took, it took a long time, but yes, yeah, student teaching, and then I've been involved in theater I honestly don't know when. I think basically my whole life. The first thing I can remember is doing stake plays, and I think I was probably somewhere around three or five. But as you're in things like that and doing more and more, you end up being the choreographer or you end up being assistant director. And I think all of those things involve teaching in some way or another. This is my fourth year, the end of my fourth year of teaching at Beaumont High School. I actually never really wanted to teach until I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and had the choice to either write a giant paper, which sounded awful, or go and do a project. And so I contacted my high school and talked to my my theater teacher and asked if I could just go and help direct or help produce her musical for the for the fall. And at first she was like, no. And then she realized that I was finishing school. So I already had some experience and had me go in and direct the show. And the first night when we had an audience there and just cheering and clapping or crying for what the actors were doing on stage and knowing that I had a hand in creating this story based off of how their reactions were and how the students had grown from the beginning to the end, I realized that I should have just gone into education from the start. And it wasn't just the directing, it was knowing that the students had grown from not knowing anything and feeling like they weren't 
competent enough to perform on that stage to owning their characters and telling a story and moving an audience. And we did Into the Woods, and which is already a very powerful and emotional show, but to have the audience react to that and to see the students beam because of the way that the audience was reacting, I just realized education was where I needed to be. But it was I was already finishing my bachelor's degree at that point, and it wasn't in education. <laughs> and so I realized maybe I needed to go back to school and get my education license at that point. And so for a couple of years, I just went around directing and having fun and, and enjoying being a mom and making money a little bit as a director. But then I was offered through my son and daughter's elementary school, their principal said, you know, there are scholarships to cover you to get your, your license to teach. And I jumped on that, got a full ride and covered my whole master's degree and did that in education and got my license and my master's at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. So that, I just loved teaching so much. That's what I wanted to do. But then there weren't any jobs at that point. So everybody was kind of cutting down on the arts. Um, there just wasn't any theater anymore that was full time anyway. And uh, I wanted to be able to support my family and let my husband quit where he was working. He was working in construction, road construction, and it was tons and tons of hours and it was hard on his body. And I wanted to be able to support my family so he could go back to school. Jordan also beautifully expressed his desires to become a teacher, which you can find in his scrap episode Starter Story. These teachers were drawn to teaching, but not all students are intrinsically drawn to fine and performing art classes. Have you had a student who was like, I'm just here because I don't want to play a musical instrument? And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our beginning theater class is typically filled with students that are just there because they need their art credit. And that's a bummer. In the end, we do, we do stage combat in that class and we do uh, pantomime. So there's a lot of movement in that class. And at first they hate it. They're just there and they'll just phone it in. And then once we start doing especially the stage combat they're always hooked, and they just love it at that point. That doesn't mean they'll come back for another class, but at least they're going to enjoy that experience. And then they get to know everybody else through all the improv games and just spending time with each other, and they realize that it's it's not a horrible class. And maybe they don't want to perform all the time. I, unfortunately, they don't get out of performing in those classes. And so I just let them know, well, take CE Theater instead next year or whatever, and then you don't have to perform, but you still get to have fun and learn. And so that's kind of how I build my CE theater class a lot of times is those kids that don't want to perform, they'll come in that or they'll move over to the stage crew class as well. And then they still get to be in that same environment that they've learned that they actually enjoy without having to perform all the time. That sounds like a nice balance. I like yeah, that. it works out. Fine and performing art classes are electives. You don't have to take them, except you're required to have some classes in the arts for your graduation requirements. So the arts are sort of important, but not essential, unless you want to graduate, which is the point, right? So yeah, required electives. It's hard to tell what message is being given here by the educational powers that be. Just how much do I have to care about this class? It's it's this idea that some some educational disciplines are more or less valuable than others. And that's one of the frustrating things that I, that I get more in my job than anything else is that kids come in with a preconceived notion about what's going on. Yes, I get those some of those students that are there that are interested, they want to be there, but because my discipline is an elective, it is also usually the last choice elective for those students that are not engaged in school. 
because those students that are not engaged in school, they'll be like, I don't want to do band because I don't want to do a musical instrument. I don't want to do theater or, or chorus because I don't want to perform. And the fine and performing arts are usually lumped together okay. in graduate requirements. So I get those students that have that disassociation. They want their elective to stay in its place and not creep into their other activities. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of them don't necessarily understand the value that comes along with it as well. The idea that uh, if you pick up on these visual clues and if, if you if you see these kind of uh, connections that happen, it doesn't have to be from a drawing course or, or graphic design, but you can see these interconnectivities all around. One of the ways that I explain complementary colors specifically is I, I speak to my students about mentally going back to elementary school where everybody at that age really loves those sugary cereals on the shelves. And you go down that aisle of, of sugary cereals and you look up at the cartoon characters that are trying to sell you these. And the designers intentionally have the cartoon characters look down in all of the boxes to make a visual eye contact connection with the kids. And not only that, but they also focus on complementary colors for a great deal of the cartoon character and box synthesis. So to give you an example, Frosted Flakes, we've got Tony the Tiger, who is in orange, and his box is always blue. Lucky Charms is the green leprechaun with the red back. Exactly. It even goes into Raisin Bran with the sun and the violet box. Now, invariably, this is when one of my students will say, well, what about Cocoa Puffs? And I don't have anything for brown. But <laughs> I don't even know what brown's complementary color is. It, it, they, well, it gets complex with, <laughs> with intensity and hue and all of these other things. But the, the big thing about that is, is talking to the students directly about visual connectivity and how they can see that it affects them on a daily basis. That it isn't just this isolated location that is just the art room, that there is this interconnectivity that they can pick up on. I actually love to teach storytelling. I think that just having that connection with not only the story, but with the the ups and downs and the, the fluidity of each story will really help every single person to not just tell stories. They're not, you're not going to get up in front of people and necessarily just tell a story, but you're going to be able to connect with those other people. If you have to go to a job interview, in a sense, you're telling a story. You're telling about yourself. And that is a story. That's a real life situation. And you're going to, you're always going to be asked questions about what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And you have to be able to tell that in a way that's really going to help somebody want to hire you or to bring you on and make you part of that team. And so I feel like just knowing what to say and how to say it, how to connect and get your, your audience, whoever that person is that's listening to you, how to get them involved and to understand you is really going to help you in the long run. So storytelling comes in many different forms, many, many different forms. And I try personally to find where I mostly connect to whatever I'm trying to say or wherever it's trying to to lead me wherever I'm trying to go and, and hope that my audience is connecting with that as well. I had a parent once, their daughter isn't what you quote unquote, a theater kid, but she needed to fill a spot. And the mom said, well, you know what, what use is theater? 
and I, I kind of went, uh, 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 because uh, in my head, it's the most important class ever. So I'm like, what, what do you mean? So, I, you know, after I got all my stuttering back, because there was just, you know how your brain goes faster than your mouth? I said, well, what, what could be more important in when are you going to give presentations in your life? And I asked my English amateur class this when they say, we don't want to present. We don't want to tell a story in front of class. I said, when are you going to give presentations in your life? And they look at me and they go, all the time. I said, yeah, all the time. And not just in school. Are, are you guys going to have a job? Well, yeah. Are you going to interview for that job? Yeah. Are you going to ever have to present an idea to a boss of, or of any sort? Yeah. Well, that's you telling stories that's you performing that's you standing in front of someone and having control over your voice and your body and your words and your movement you're acting anytime you do any kind of story anytime you do any kind of presentation anytime kind of do any kind of interview you're telling a story and you're acting so this is stuff that you need for every aspect of your life for the rest of your life it's important <laughs> Do you find that as a, a teacher of an elective, um, particularly an arts elective, that you have to package what you do and disguise it <laughs> as not art in order to get people to buy into supporting that what you do is important? Absolutely. In fact, I just had to rewrite all of the little descriptions that go with every class that I teach. And I had to kind of package them more as a business class rather than as an arts class because I'm trying to grow them. I, one of the classes I forgot to mention is that I teach concurrent enrollment theater also, which is intro to theater. It's a history and literature class. But because it's a theater class, people think that it's an acting class, but it's not an acting class. And so it's really hard for me to get people in there who are not interested in acting. And so I have to market that class, especially as this class is going to be beneficial to you because you're learning history, you're learning literature. These are skills that if you want to travel, maybe you want to go to Europe, we're going to learn about uh, Restoration Theater. We're going to learn about Shakespearean Theater, Elizabethan, Carolinian, Jacobian. We're going to learn about Germany and Weimar classicism, all these things. And sometimes that will bring in other people. I have to sort of remarket things for the sports students as well. And that's tricky sometimes because they're thinking theater. I don't want to have anything to do with that. But we also talk about how how theater started out as a huge uh, festival and, and almost a Greci uh, in Grecian times, almost as an Olympic event. And then compare that and show that in theater, a lot of times you're up and dancing. Well, that's kind of a sport. You're up and moving a lot. You're getting up and you're talking in front of people. And so I'm trying to find different ways all the time to bring in different types of students that wouldn't normally take my classes. Um, and then the other issue is that a lot of times the shows that we do conflict with sports or with, uh, we have a lot of medical classes at our school and they have a lot of um, trainings and things that happen after school and that conflicts with what we have going on as well. So marketing it in a way to get them into the classes rather than necessarily having to do just the one big after school show is something that I really have to do often. <laughs> I'm thankful that with the visual arts, I can create and inspire other people. And yes, being a high school art teacher, there are some aspects of predisposition for some people where they 
don't take my discipline necessarily as seriously as as the core educators or some other activities like oh it's it, it, I, I found more often than not that uh, when I speak to some people, people who aren't in the education system, people basically who their last time being in a school was when they were in school, they don't have a great uh, great connection to education in general, being dismissed. People outside the school system don't always understand how important it is for arts to be an integral part of education. STEM is the big thing. Science, technology, engineering, math. Dr. Judith Ramillay is credited with launching the STEM-centered approach to education. While developing curricula for the National Science Foundation in 2001, Dr. Ramillay wrote to a colleague that it was, quote, impossible to make wise personal decisions, exercise good citizenship, or compete in an increasingly global economy without knowledge of science and the ability to apply it thoughtfully and appropriately, end quote. I think it would be difficult to argue against that assertion. However, the inclusion of art, changing STEM to STEAM, isn't an argument against. It's a growing consensus amongst educators that innovation, creativity, design, and problem-solving are effectively taught with an art-inclusive curriculum. What is it that educators, administrators, and researchers are seeing with arts education that has them so excited? I just had my observation we have to have observations from our principal every so often. And so she usually does one of my English and one of my theater ones. And we, I just did my theater yesterday and we talked about it this morning. And she's always so excited when she comes and watches my theater kids. She, she said, you've got some kids in there that I've never seen talk outside of that. I couldn't believe how... And you have all these personalities that I would never think would ever even speak to each other outside in the hallways. And they're having fun. They're interacting. They're acting like friends and having a great time and working together. And I said, yeah, it's amazing. I'll have kids from English that don't say a word all year long. And I think they're these super quiet, shy kids. And they get into theater and it's boom. And they're not going to act forever. They're just, that's a place where they can just let go. And I had, I have a couple this year where even I, I, I watched them. I thought I had you all last year. You never said a word and you are delightful. They had us up dancing YMCA for their warm up for 10 minutes. So my whole class is running around dancing YMCA because that's what they picked for their warm up, having a blast. And they're the ones, they're absolutely completely quiet, silent last year in English. And this year they are the leaders. They're having a blast. They're running around. They're doing, today we were playing red light, green light. And they were, every time they said green, red light, they would stop and make these big dramatic poses. And so then everyone decided they wanted to do dramatic poses. And then we decided that we were going to do ballet as we did red light, green light. And, and the principal was just saying, I can't believe these kids that they get into theater and they are just completely different people. And I said, I know, I love it. It's one of the main reasons I do what I do. I absolutely love seeing these kids that are completely quiet and silent. You get them in the theater. And that's another big thing that we talk about at the very beginning. I said, you know, when you're casting a show, you don't get to pick who you're with and you just have to work with these people. You have to work with every personality, which is another thing that I tell the parents why it's important at theater. You have to work with all sorts of different personalities in your life, in a job. So what other way than learning at junior high, especially how to get along with different kinds of people. And yeah, sometimes you're not going to like them that much, but you still need to work with them. And so that's when the first thing, and we do warm-ups and we do these games and the activities, and they think they're just having fun. But what I'm really doing is getting to them to build a, 
ensemble and learning focusing techniques. It's what I call zucchini and the brownies education. <laughs> um, and so they're, they're learning to work together. They're these people you would never see in the hallways, but now they're friends because they've been playing toilet tag where you have to sit on each other's lap and flush their arms. And then you can run around again. And they've been having so much fun. And then, then it changes when they're in the hallways and it's a lot of fun. And my principal was just commenting. She just kept saying over and over again, I can't believe how great that was. That was so great to see them. I loved seeing them like that. It was so great. And it was, it is, it's just so fun to watch them do that and to watch them grow. It's one of the best parts of my job. And that's one of my main challenges in the visual arts, because not every, I, I understand this, not everybody that walks into my classroom is going to be incredibly enamored and wants to draw for the rest of their life. Some people are just there for credit. And I understand that. I totally get that. I want to provide them with an opportunity to visually interact with their environment at a greater capacity than when they walked into the classroom. I feel like you're making the same argument a math teacher makes, which yeah. is, yeah, maybe you're not going to use math this way the rest mm -hmm. of your life, but I'm trying to use math to teach you to think. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the, one of the advantages that I think the visual arts has over a good deal of other disciplines is the creative problem solving because, and I am not digging on any other educator when I'm saying this, but, but it is unique for my discipline on a regular basis is that a lot of other classes are rote memorization in that you must follow a certain path. To give you an example, mathematics, junior high school, early high school, first in or out or last. When you okay. take, so uh, FOIL, FOIL method. FOIL, first in or out or last. The idea that you take when you're multiplying two uh, parenthetical operations, that you have to work it in a very specific pattern to get the correct answer. Well, with, with visual arts, to give you an example, on Monday, this coming Monday, I have my drawing students work with a perspective cityscape, and they are working with, they are working with either one, two, or three-point perspective to create a visual composition that goes back into space. It's the same type of principle, the idea that there's a specific way of going about it. But I try to open it up to give them more opportunities. So those students that want to do the Flatiron building in New York City and, and take a look at that from a perspective, or they can take a Shinto shrine from Japan and put it into, uh, put it into a different form of perspective, they have a wider breadth to kind of look at and, and, and interest. We are grouped into a discipline, especially for graduation requirements, that music most of the students are following the conductor who is the teacher and they have to follow a specific i mean they can't they can't basey out of it they can't jazz and improv throughout the majority of it yes it might be under very strict guidelines along those lines but i think we have a little more freedom in the visual arts same kind of thing with a, a theater production the the teacher might have overarching implements but a kid can't go off script on a regular basis in, in that regard. They are, they're directed in that sense. So I, I, feel, I feel that my discipline has a greater amount of creativity directly related to it that allows students to express themselves, and especially in high school, with pubescent kids. <laughs> it is so important for them to have that release. And it was important for me to have that release at that age. 
it's important for me to have that release now. But uh, I, I think it's I think it's very valuable. Why why does it matter that your students practice these same life skills through this format and not just like, okay, here's a class on interviewing for a job, right? <laughs> I think that you can memorize what you're going to say for an interview. I think that we, when you go to an interview, a lot of times it's the same questions over and over again, but then you'll go to one that you actually care about and they'll ask something that will catch you off guard and you're not going to be prepared for that. So by taking the classes and learning how to communicate in a way that's going to be more authentic and think off the top of your head and yet know what you're saying rather than just have it thrown out there is kind of tricky. And so by taking these classes and learning these skills and advancing throughout these classes or any any type of theater training, you're learning how to be authentic, but you're also learning how to listen and answer and not just memorize something. You're you're being real rather than just canned. It sounds it sounds like if you were boiling down your curriculum to like I don't know, as few words as possible. What you're telling me is it's sincere problem solving. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I like that. It's very sincere. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. You're you're welcome. (laughs) Now I can market it that way. (laughs) It's interesting because we take these training classes to become teachers and they talk about the different... um, psychologists and things like the temporal development and you think oh no because you don't remember being that age you always think that you thought the same way then you start watching them you're like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you guys don't quite you're not quite there like they can't not very metacognitive they're 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 right at that cusp where they're starting to learn you know so things like I don't think about your thinking. You think, think about what you're doing. You know, they'll, the power will go out and they'll be like, yeah, we get to go home. And I said, no, you don't. You don't want to go home. If we stay for two more hours, it will count as a school day. We're already here. We already had to get up at five in the morning. You know, we don't want to come in the Christmas break or summer vacation. And they'll just look at me like, what? And I'm like, no, no, come on. Think about it. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. So try to – they're right at that cusp where they're just on the edge where they're starting to get into that that those final stages. So it's, it's interesting to watch them, to try to give them those opportunities. Okay, come on, guys, think, think. You know, how do fairy tales work? What were fairy tales really like? What What's my inciting incident? Where's my climax? How does it go down? Put Put your life in there. Put your life story in there think start thinking about your thinking start being metacognitive and that's one of the things one of the reasons I am at that age and I can watch and I can do what I do is to try to get them to that point where they're just they're right in the cusp of they're going to that adulthood start getting them thinking how do you how do you actually use stories in your curriculum I think for a theater teacher obviously stories are part of your curriculum but how do you use that as your pedagogy So the stories help to drive basically everything that I'm teaching. So especially in beginning theater, when we are working on comedic scenes, everybody has a different kind of a style of comedy, and that story is what's going to drive that. And so a lot of times I will have the students think of funny instances in their life, and then they tell that story. And it's funny to some people, and to some people they're like, eh, that was more cringy, or that was more, uh, that was just ha-ha funny. That wasn't a full-out laughing funny. And so they have to figure out what their type of funny is, and that's all based on the story. 
And then they have to choose a scene that's similar to that. And the stories really help them to connect as an actor, but also as an audience member when they're watching the other people perform their their pieces. And so those stories help me to be able to teach because it also falls into the curriculum that I have to teach. So it works for dramatic scenes as well, or for monologues, or for musical scenes, anything like that. The story is what matters. But I also use stories when I'm teaching um, my technical theater class. A lot of times they they kind of feel that they don't really relate to theater, even though they're the ones up there building the set. So we can always rely on other people's experiences and just say, you know, if if you don't attach that railing correctly, then somebody's going to fall. And then we can go back and find a story that that has happened in. Or maybe maybe it was something that was factual, but it also could be a fiction. It could be something that somebody wrote and it was a farce. And so somebody fell over the railing. And we can say, so how would we fix that in the future? But we can apply all those stories to real life hands-on experience. As well. How do you engage an English student <laughs> when they're like, uh, and Frank and puberty? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, we just hit that one today. Or was that yesterday? And they're just like, this is so cringy. And I said, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so now I've, I've got, repeat your question because I've gone totally into what we did yesterday and what we well, did today and me. tried. Well, because I didn't have them read the book. I had them do the play instead because I, I'll be honest, I struggled with the book and I knew that my eighth graders would really struggle with it and I would lose them. Just in terms of comfort with the content or what's well, the pacing? Well, the pacing in the middle of Anne Frank is difficult. The, it, the beginning's interesting, the end is fast paced, and the middle is a lot of her musings. And, you know, she's stuck there for two years. They're, they can't go anywhere. They're with the same people over and over again. So it's pretty much her thoughts for two years and her thoughts with puberty and how much she hates her mother and, and things like that. And I knew, I knew I'd lose them. So that's why we, we did the play where we still have, it touches on those things, but it's a condensed version. And even with that, they, they were uncomfortable, which I actually enjoy because if they're uncomfortable, then they start thinking instead of falling asleep. So it was kind of fun to watch them yesterday today. Uh, one of my classes was like, oh, this is cringy. Oh, cringy. And that was the word they kept using. And I said, yeah, yeah, I warned you. I, I told you this would happen, you know, and we kind of had a little discussion about it. And when things like that happen, then they start talking, they start asking questions, and that's where you want to get them to. Much better than if they're just zoned out and asleep. I'd much rather have them complaining, saying, this is cringy. Oh, I don't like this. I say, well, why? You know, what do you think and your thoughts about it than just completely zoned out? What kind of stories can you share with me about, like, the impact of um, storytelling, like, student to student that you've seen, either in the classroom or in these after-school settings? Uh so storytelling between the students is great. Uh, a lot of times I let them write. They'll, they'll have opportunities. It's part of our curriculum anyways to write something. And so I have them create a 10-minute play at the beginning of the semester, of the, sp- of the spring semester. And they don't love that at first. They don't. They are not excited to have to write something. But the minute that they start writing and they start to connect to those characters, sometimes it's from their own life and sometimes it's not. They are so engaged in what they're putting down on that paper, and then they get nervous about sharing it. And I do make them read it as well, and they have to share that story. So when they get up and they have to read that story, it's really great to watch the reactions and 
of the audience, but also the relief from the reader, the writer. They get to see that their story is having an impact. And sometimes that's a, an emotional impact. Sometimes it's just humorous. Sometimes it's just a, hey, I can relate. That's what I do after school too. Great. But it's such a neat way for the students to realize that they're not alone and that they have that connection with others in the class. And that's why we kind of do it at the beginning of the semester so that they they don't always know the other students in that class. And it's a good way for them to kind of get to see that we're all we're all in the same life right now. We're all in this moment and we're all having these same conflicts that we have in our lives or we all have, we have, oh, we all have to go to school and we all have to deal with those issues. And a lot of times, especially working with high schoolers, it's about going to school, having to go to work after school, having to juggle. Sometimes I let them write monologues instead of a full out 10 minute play. And those monologues are amazing. They're often just an everyday moment. I have to go home and talk to my mom. So I'm going to turn this into a monologue. And it's great to see them say, this is how it really went down, but this is what I wish it would have been. And so they can rewrite their life using that story process. They get to rewrite how things should have been or how they wish that things would have been or how they hope that things will be if this is the future that they're writing about. And that can help them to better prepare for those confrontations or for those uh, instances that might be happening there's so many things going through their heads. Are they going to get the grade that they want for one? Of course, as the teacher, that's what I'm looking for. But the other people in the class are what really make them nervous. They, a lot of times they would prefer just to perform for me rather than everybody else. So they are very vulnerable up there and performing. And sometimes it's, I had one student that wrote her own piece and got up and performed her piece and was terrified because it was her opportunity to show who she was as a writer and as a performer. And she was terrified at the end of that piece, it, it was a comedic piece and everybody was laughing. And at the end, she was just shaking uncontrollably. And I went and sat next to her and, and asked her if she felt good about it. And she said, I'm glad it's over. And then I let her sit for a second and, and then had the students give her feedback on her piece. And she was so grateful that it went over well, but she was also able to learn that not only was she a good little actress, but she also was a good writer but there were others in the audience that were other students who felt that way as well, had gone through those emotions, had gone through those experiences that she had written about, and were happy to see that it, it could end up happy, that that little instance in her life of, of telling her parents about some struggles she had been having could end up happy and that her parents were happy about it and, and not happy, but supportive with her about all of that. And then she felt supported because everybody else had been through that experience. So the risk was there, the risk of what if, what if they don't agree with what I have to say? What if nobody else has done this? What if I'm alone? What if I get a bad grade? There's all these what ifs, but in the end it ended up that she didn't feel alone and she felt like this is now a stronger family. I try to call it a family. They all call me mama O for some reason. And so I don't hate it. I think it's adorable, but it's confusing sometimes because they'll talk to their real moms and say, hey, mom wants me to do this. And so, but I try to create a family and I want them all to feel safe and I want them to uh, be able to put themselves out there. And then when they get on the stage and they're performing in front of a thousand other people that they don't perform for normally, at least they have that other little family right behind them on stage with them usually. And so the risk and the, the what ifs and the vulnerability are definitely there, but I think it helps them to be stronger in the end because they realize that they're not alone and that they can make it through and that it's really fun actually to get up and perform and, and to 
show the world what you can do. Einstein said, quote, It is the supreme art of the teacher to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge. End quote. I think that kind of encapsulates what these three teachers are about. Whether it's visual connectivity, narrative art, storytelling as content or pedagogy, these educators engage their students in creative problem-solving, expression, content-specific knowledge, and thinking, and thinking about thinking. And maybe that seems easier with the arts and their more overt connections to storytelling than mathematics or science. Or maybe it seems less important because it's fun and often subjective. But Ignacio Estrada said, quote, If a child can't learn the way we teach, maybe we should teach the way they learn. End quote. And one of the best ways to learn is through a story. So my, the first things that come to mind is I don't see how you can't tell stories as an educator. I think back to my college classes and I had these wonderful professors, when I, I, that's how I would remember things. They would tell these stories and that's how it's, that's, that's how my brain works. I, it's interesting to me and it helps me put it into my schema and learn things. And so I think, and then I think about my own kid who he loves his science teacher and he talks about how his science teacher always tells all these stories. And so they think they're having these entertaining stories. And again, back to zucchini and the brownies teaching is you're telling them stories, but they're they're remembering it because it's a story and that's how it gets in their head so i don't know how you teach without telling stories i don't know how anything i teach doesn't turn into a story every everything every time i'm teaching anything it turns into a story thank you to my guests jordan c brun jordan thank you so much for letting me interview thanks you today for the opportunity i really appreciate it i had a great time cool cool thanks wendy oltman's Wendy, thank you so much for letting me you interview bet. you today. <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And Mandy Harris. <laughs> Mandy, thank you so much for, of course. for meeting me right before of course. the performance. And- <laughs> Talking with me in a costume closet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I good memory. It'll be a fun memory. <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. This episode of In the Telling was sponsored by Next Stage Productions, bringing William Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing to life for a new generation. Performances May 9th through the 18th at On Pitch Performing Arts in Layton. Theme music by Gordon Fettis. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>